0: Welcome to Episode 28 of the Forward From 50 Podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. It's an opportunity for men and women to tell their stories, their way, in their own words. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward From 50, and your host for today's show. When Don Gleason was a child, he observed the impact pollution was having on his favorite fishing streams. That sparked a career dedicated to cleaning up the environment got his bachelor's degree in civil and environmental engineering from the University of Wisconsin in 1982. But that was bad timing because a big recession was underway. When Don was applying for jobs, he got 454 rejection letters from firms saying they are not hiring anyone. So Don became a US Air Force officer instead. His job in civil engineering allowed him to focus on environmental issues. He retired as a Fulbright Colonel who commanded three civil engineering squadrons and a mission support group. Years before Don wanted to retire from the military, he spent time thinking about what he wanted to do in civilian life as well as what he did not want to do. He knew for sure he did not want to be managing people's toilets, the lights in a building, or the heat and air conditioning. Don wanted to find a company where he could work in different areas of environmental compliance, conservation, or restoration. Clean up old toxic sites and help keep America's waters clean. Unfortunately, after he started a new job, Don was eventually nudged into a role uncovering cost efficiencies for the U.S. Department of Engineering projects. After working in that position for a while, Don knew it was not his forte. So he started training in his off hours to become certified with the John Maxwell team. At age 56, Don started his own company to help people transition out of their jobs into opportunities better suited for their skills, talent, and most importantly, their experiences. To tell us more about his passion for the environment, as well as his desire to help people transition into jobs that excite them rather than drain them of energy, please welcome Don Gleason to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Don. I really appreciate the time. Now, it's funny that here we are in 2023, but... A long time ago, we walked the same hallways in high school and then got, yeah, that's funny. And then we met in Florida, of all places, and reconnected again. That was, I don't know, what, six or seven years ago. That's right. Tell everybody.
1: And we're sitting there talking to Todd, and I had met Todd. You met Todd. And we just happened to sit down at the same table. And I think Todd hauled us over, and called me over and says, Don, you need to sit down here. Here's another guy from Madison. <laughs> started talking. I like, yeah, we both went to Madison La Follette. And that's we are like one year apart. We didn't know each other then.
0: That's right. That was but,
1: but we were there together. So that's funny. But hey, I appreciate the opportunity, Greg, to get together. I really enjoyed getting to know you and through the Maxwell Leadership Team, and now through our accountability group, which I'm sure we'll touch on mm-hmm. somewhere today, but but now they're doing this podcast. So I appreciate what you're doing, spreading the gospel of leadership.
0: Thank you. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself, like where you are now, and what you did before you turned 50.
1: Before I turned 50, when in, it really comes back to a story that I love telling, which was in the fifth grade, in April of 1970, on the first Earth Day, I found my purpose was to clean America's waters my dad had taken us out fishing I got to do some hunting and stuff later on so I was in the environment and I started to see how we as Americans had polluted the environment and just the idea of coming up to a river and you could see the yellow stum, and you could smell the stench and you see the dead fish and it's like why would we want to fish here we would never want to eat anything out of here And that was about the time when they started implementing the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, all those different things, Safe Drinking Water Act. So we changed a lot of things during that time, but it got me excited. And fast forward, I was really good in math and I was good in science. Got all the way through high school, went to University of Wisconsin, got my bachelor's in civil and environmental engineering. But unfortunately, when I graduated college in 1982, there was a recession, and I had basically the option, because I had 454 letters from companies at my graduation party on the 5th of May, 1982. It took me five years. And, and they all said, thanks, but we're not hiring right now. So I was discouraged, but I just kept on moving. And I got the opportunity to join the US Air Force. And it was about being some experience. I could have gone back to, and some of my friends did. They went back and got their master's degree because there was no jobs out there. But I, just, I needed to get out into the world. So I got in the Air Force, and I tell you, yeah. officer training school was tough for me. It, it had to whip me into shape. I was probably a little bit radical. And part of it was the physical. I was I reported right at weight. I was actually six pounds under, but somehow when I flew from Wisconsin to Texas, I lost an inch. <laughs> it happened every time in the military that I went to formal school, I lost an inch. I always had to be careful. <clears throat> but 27 years, got to do some amazing things, never thought I would get to do culminating in 2004, going over to Baghdad, Iraq, for four months and leading the reconstruction of a com- country. You think about the Marshall Plan, where they rebuilt Germany after World War II. We were rebuilding Iraq, spending $12 billion, and I got to be in charge of programming those projects. So it was really exciting. <clears throat> and then, so that, that led me up, when I retired in 2009, that led me up to about 50. So I was a civil engineer, focused in more on the environmental side of And then the leadership side, I got to command three squadrons, mission support group. Mission support group has everything besides, except there's the operations group who has flyers. There's the maintenance group who maintains the aircraft for the flyers. There's the medical group, and and mission support group normally has everything else.
0: Okay, and that's what uh, you did, is you were a commander of a mission support group? Just
1: 1,650 people, seven squadrons.
0: What was your rank? Uh,
1: I retired as a colonel. Okay. That was actually kind of interesting story, because on the way down... To Baghdad, I was a colonel select, but they wanted me wearing colonel. And the Air Force doesn't frock, that's the word they use, frock people very often. So I had to go get high level approval. And they literally at eight o'clock the night before I was leaving, they approved it. So we arranged that night a promotion ceremony the next morning in the the headquarters USAP, United States Air Forces in Europe, the civil engineer office. And I called a gentleman, he was going to be the, the, the deputy. Was the presiding officer and then the exec, a uh, friend of mine, he became the kind of the exact reading things. And we put it together real quick. And literally on the way, I went to the after the ceremony, went to the dry cleaners and had it sewed on my uniform. And we headed straight to Ryan Mine and into the aircraft and blew down to Baghdad.
0: That's a fun story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's amazing
1: when you think back to 27 years, how many stories there are. Through the career. And we just have them throughout our entire life. But we all think that, oh,
0: I don't have any stories. Oh, Everyone yeah. has a story. Absolutely. Yeah, everybody has a story. Yeah. yeah. And they're all so, unique and they can all be used to benefit somebody else. That's right.
1: I'm really yeah. trying to follow Don Yeager a little bit. He's now one of the thought leaders for the, John Maxwell, for the Maxwell leadership team. And he's a great storyteller. So I'm just sit back and just listen to him tell stories. And it's so exciting for an audience to hear those.
0: What did you do when you retired from the military?
1: So I immediately jumped into Booz Allen Hamilton. I wanted to, it was a very interesting process, which relates now to what I do. I spent two or three years before I got out thinking out what I wanted to do when I got out. And I did not want to do architecture or project design, facility design. I didn't want to do facility maintenance. I had done all those things in the Air Force, but that was not something that excited me. It went right back to environmental. I really wanted to find a company that I could, work in some of the different areas of environmental compliance or conservation or restoration, cleaning up old sites, whatever it might be. But I wanted to go back to clean, cleaning America's waters. I think that's what I said with the Earth Day, right? Cleaning America's waters. But then I also loved the emergency management side, which a lot of times the environmental side was cleaning up spills, responding to spills. So they tied right together. And Bruce Allen Hamilton allowed me to do that. And we got in and we, I was leading projects at Shreveport Bossier City, so Shreveport Air Force Base. No. Yes, it's Shreveport Air Force Base. And then Tyndall Air Force Base and here in San Antonio. And then I got on the Department of Energy project doing cost efficiencies. That Was not really my forte, it was a struggle. I struggled Mm -hmm. through that, but it really tied me into, do what you want to do, what you're really excited about that energizes you. So now I started through the Maxwell Leadership, and the skills they've given us. I am a career transition coach. So it's about leadership. It's about helping people, as I say up front, answer the question, what do you really want to do next?
0: Why did you join the John Maxwell group? Or what prompted you to get that training?
1: That was interesting. It was Thanksgiving of 2014. I happened to see a Facebook post about it. And I said, yeah, I'll take some information. And I was walking. On Saturday, I haven't run since really 2009. So I do a lot of walking for to keep my weight down and health and stuff. And, and my knees, I just had one knee replaced. I need to get the other one replaced. So it's just keeping it going. And a guy called me up, program coordinator. And he says, hey, can we talk? And I said, I'm walking for another hour. So let's talk. And it just sounded really exciting. I had always seen myself when I travel in the military when I was on aircraft. And I would pick up the magazine behind the seats. And you would read about entrepreneurs and businesses, executives and companies. I was like, Yeah, I want to be an entrepreneur. My brother's an entrepreneur over in Houston. And I said, like, yeah, I've always wanted to do that. But I love leadership. and I want to continue to grow in leadership. There was nothing more exciting. I did a podcast interview not too long ago. It was one of those, what was one of the most exciting memories you had in the service. And it was about helping individuals who are lost or moving in the wrong direction turn back around, right? They come into your office when you're a commander and you're giving them an Article 15 non-judicial punishment or a letter of reprimand and they're moving in the wrong direction, right? They're about ready to get kicked out of the service. And having a conversation and understanding them and figuring out how to get the right resources to them Mm -hmm. to move them in the right direction, that was exciting. I loved it. And, And then taking an organization to places that they didn't think they could be, right? Challenging them, demanding performance, not from a tutorial perspective, but from an out front leadership perspective. And we, I won a number of awards in the Air Force. We won a number of unit awards in the Air Force, and it was all about leadership. So I just loved it. So there was just an opportunity for me to impact other companies and other leaders. I just had to get onto that.
0: So you started your own business from there.
1: I did. Yeah, I got certified with the Maxwell Leadership Team in 15, 2015. thousand fifteen. Two years later, I started my own company. I was still working for Booz Allen until two thousand eighteen. So I started. We were up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and we'd be sitting at a restaurant, a brewery, and all of a sudden I'd say, oh, it's 7.30. I got class at 8 o'clock. And they'd look at me like, dude, you're 50-some years old. What are you doing going to school? I said, I got class three nights a week.
0: That's-
1: and I would get on the calls with the mentors, and we would they'd go through different topics, and I'd ask questions. and Learn. It was exciting.
0: I think that speaks well to what we need to re- keep in mind when we're over 50 is that we never stop learning. We are always right. lifelong learning. There's always lifelong. something we can learn. That's right.
1: In fact, and, I belong to a group called the Executive Book Review here in San Antonio. It's now gone national because they do it with COVID. They went virtual. Now we do a, basically a hybrid in place and virtual. And that's their piece, right? Lifelong learning. That's one of their purposes. So we go through three times a month. We go through a different book and somebody presents it. And I think i presented three times now. Last month, I presented on John's newest book, The 16 Indispensable Laws of Communication. Very good. I think I got that title right.
0: When you started your business, you were doing it part-time while working for your full-time employer. I was. How did you do that? How did you manage both?
1: It was a struggle because I wasn't connecting with the people in San Antonio that I really wanted to work with. So it was really more about learning and growing and just trying things. So I would do some masterminds with the staff that I had in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and we did the leadership game. I Mm -hmm. tried that out. So I was just trying out different things with them and getting to know the materials. And then I was on the board for the Red Cross in San Antonio. So I started doing some of the same things with them and just trying things when I was home on the weekend. Hey, can we do this? Can we do that? I I gifted them the play of the leadership game at one point. Hoping that would turn into something more, but didn't. But but I learned so much that night; it was amazing. So I'd just trying things out.
0: What prompted you to go into business for yourself then, to just say goodbye to the corporate world?
1: I was frankly tired of the contracting. I had we had won a contract down in Florida, and even though the individual that we were supporting had worked for me in the past, he it was a kind of a pain in the butt, and he wanted things his way my contracting officer was saying, you can't do certain things like that. And I was trying to balance in the middle and it got to be a challenge to communicate. And it just didn't, it wasn't fun anymore. When I got onto the department of energy job, the prime contractor we were with, it just was very political and uh, frankly abusive and just wasn't fun anymore. I did not, I would sit in my room. I had an apartment one year in Amarillo, so I didn't have to take all my stuff home every Friday night. <clears throat> and I had to then for another year in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and I would sit there sometimes listening to songs about quitting and giving my two-week notice. And I was like, yeah, you got to pay attention to this emotion, right? There's something here that says this is about to end. And in uh, 2017 at our Christmas party, it just, somebody said something, and it flipped. I said, I'm done. It's what? time for me to leave. Time for me to leave this project.
0: I like how you put that is something is about to end. It's signaled a transition. It's not that you're done, but you're mm-hmm. moving in a different direction because so many people don't recognize that transition prompt. So mm-hmm. they stay stuck in a career. They hate working yep. with people. They do not like doing stuff that is just leaves them uninspired and unfulfilled. Yep. And so exactly. you recognize that and you jumped into a different career But now I understand you're helping other people identify those transitions and to take advantage of them. It is
1: because when I got out of the military, I spent, like I said, I spent those two or three years really focusing in and asking myself, what do I want to do? The year prior to getting out, I did the executive career transition program. And it's the second time I did it, but she had a whole list of questions. I remember sitting in my office at home in Fairfax. And Virginia just just outside D.C., and going through those questions that night and just not accepting an easy answer. You're right. It's basic questions. Do you want to supervise people or not? I loved supervising people. Mm. So it was yes. How much do you want to travel? I don't want to be gone that long. So 35%. Do you want to do business development? I don't really know anything about business development. I think that sounds exciting. A lot of people shy away from it. I I took it as an opportunity. So I actually did about 80% business development. some respects through my career with Booz Allen. I went through all of those questions and really thought into them. And that pays me service today because I really know what I want, what I don't want.
0: So a lot of people, I would imagine they get frustrated or get that point in their job where they know they've got to change. So they just start looking for jobs without giving any consideration to what it is they really want to do. That doesn't sound like the best way to no. build the last stage of a productive career.
1: That's right. And I think they asked the wrong question. There's a quote that you and I have learned, which is when you change how you look at things, the things you look at change. And when you look at, you know, even back in the days we'd pick up the newspaper and you'd look at the one ads, right? Now it's on, it's on the job boards and stuff. It's on through the internet. It's all those different things that are there digitally. But you still ask the same question. Can I do this job or do I want to do this job? If you ask the question, can I do this job, you're going to get this huge list because yeah, you can do a lot of things. Do I want to do that? Like I said, when I retired in 2009, I didn't want to do design. I didn't want to do construction. I didn't want to do facility maintenance. I could, but I do that. Oh yeah.
0: And if very I had well. to fall back
1: to I could have done it very well. I did very well. I got some awards for it. But it was like, shoot me now. No way. And I tie it into the energy, right? When you're in a job that you really like, that you're excited by, you're energized in the morning. You can't wait to get there and take on the challenges and deal with some of the issues and advance the team toward the goal. And then the day just runs by, right? All of a sudden, you think it's that coffee break time. I'm sorry, you think it's quitting time and it's really just coffee break time. It's the bundle. Where did that day go? Right? Maybe I have that backwards. But anyway, the day just flies by. But when you're de-energized, you don't want to go. There's this thing now called the Sunday Scaries.
0: The Sunday talk-
1: Scaries. Have you heard of that? No. So on Sunday, the anxiety in a lot of people is raising when they're starting to think about coming back to work on Monday morning. And it's, they get anxious. They, get, they, they can't sleep. They almost become dysfunctional and Sunday night trying to think about getting ready. The last thing they want to do is go back to work on Monday. So they go in regrettingly. They do what's required, but they're not excited by it. The day just ticks by. You're watching the clock tick by tick. This is where you think it should be quitting time, and it's really only coffee break time in the morning. right? I had this backwards earlier. But when you're not excited by the work, everything just goes wrong, and you go home exhausted because it's taken all the energy out of you. And what do you want to do when you get home? sit down and have a beer and watch TV.
0: And just get into that rut that's very difficult to get out of. So how many people do you think are probably in that position where they feel that they are not engaged in work or that they don't have a purpose?
1: Survey after survey says 75% roughly disengaged at work. And that pretty much comes back to other surveys that say people don't really have a purpose. Mm -hmm. They don't know what they want to do. For me, fifth grade, Clean America's Waters. Drove me through college, got my degree. That's what I really wanted to do. When I came out of the service, that's what I wanted to do. I had a purpose. Clean America's Waters. That became an exciting for me. And I find a lot of people don't do that. As I've been working the last three years in a nonprofit helping military in their career transition, that's where I came up with that. Most people don't know what they want to do next. You start the second problem, I think, when people start looking for a job, like you said, is they ask the wrong question. But two, is they start writing their resume. But then they struggle with, what do I put into the job, into resume? What jobs do I put in? What are the results? How do I phrase this? If you don't know what you want to do and potentially who you want to do it for, it's tough to write a resume or a LinkedIn profile. So I try to get them to go back. Let's think about the skills, the interests, the passions, the experiences. This one's most powerful. When I start asking you, Greg, what was the most exciting thing you did in the service, you come up and all of a sudden your your eyes perk up and you just energy. There's like a, a, a skip and you're giddy up, right? And yeah, I really enjoyed this. I faced this problem. It was really hard, but we made a huge impact and it was so much fun. I couldn't believe it. There's something there that says we need to drill into that and figure this out.
0: I've talked to oh, a we, lot of people. Oh, continue. Go ahead. I was going
1: to say, but the flip side happens too, right? What was the worst experience? And can you start to get a feel for what they don't want to do? If you asked me that, it'd be that facility maintenance piece and stuff. I, like, I don't want to be managing people's toilets, and the lights in the buildings and the heat. Yeah, that's that's not the best use of my skills. I'm sorry. I love that people want to do it for me. So I had one guy, if I can just brag one time, He says, I said, so he's from Alabama. I said, so why'd you join the army? He goes, there was nothing for me there. It was going to be drugs and alcohol and prison and gangs and probably an early death. I didn't want that. I went out. I said, okay. So we talked and talked and talked. I said, what was those good things? He talked about the challenges and project management and stuff. I said, what was the best experience? He says, when I was in D.C., I got to be the point for the USA Basketball Olympic Dream Team coming to D.C. and talking to the inner city youth, poverty, and seeing the kids' eyes light up when every one of them, this is Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, David Robinson, these guys all talking about how they came out of tough situations and poverty and, and they, they made it. And the kids were like, it's possible. We can do this. And he says, I just wanted to work with the kids. Cause he came out of that situation, right? There was nothing for him in Alabama. So it tied in with him. And that's the connection mm-hmm. we found. So he's, yeah, I think he's doing that volunteer now because he found a project management job that they really wanted to do. But it was, it's that energy that's so exciting. My, my mantra right now is to help you find the job that energizes you and the life that fulfills you. That's it. Because they go together.
0: Absolutely. You know, a lot of people like you, saw something that they were passionate about as a kid. And this is, I want to do this. And of course, all of us, when we're younger, we want to be firemen and we want to be astronauts and things like that. But there are other people, they say, this is really interesting to me. I think I'd like to explore this. But well-meaning friends, family, and guidance counselors will tell them, you can't make money doing that. So why don't you pick something else? So they go into a career based on the suggestion by one person without doing any research as to whether they want to do that. And they make it their life for the next 20, 30, 40 years. And then at some point, they've got to realize that the jobs are more than money. (laughs) If they've got to have the purpose in there. So do people over 50 who find themselves bored at work have to leave the job they're in? Or is there a way for them to rescue that job to make it more meaningful?
1: Yes and yes. For the most part, when I finally get with people, they're tired of it. <clears throat> it's time to change. They, I won't say they burn bridges, but mentally, they've burned bridges. They said, it's time. That's kind of the way I was when I was in that Department of Energy job. I was like, yeah, this isn't going anywhere. It's just, I'm just biding my time. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to go next. <laughs> it, I had mentally checked out. I was still doing the work. But I had mentally checked out of, this is not a long-term thing for me. So I think a lot of people, by the time I start working with them, are in that boat. So it's about figuring out where you want to go next. What's the next opportunity? Where can I take my skills? I would love to work with people. And I have, in some respects, through the nonprofit I was with, helping them repair the situation. We had one individual who had got in, he wanted to work. He was looking for that individual contributor. He got into project management, doing contracts. But now he is traveling the world, gone 60% of the time, working 70, 80 hour weeks. He says, I'm burned out. I This is not what I wanted. So I said, so you're just going to leave? He goes, yeah, I'm putting in my two weeks tomorrow. And this was like two years ago. Yeah, it was two years ago. So he got the job three years ago and he was a year in. And I said, what if we were able to have a conversation with your boss and just tell him that this is not the life that you were looking for? He goes, I'd love that if we could... so." if we could frame it. And I said, well, let's work right now. We had mm-hmm. seven people on the call. It was a mastermind. I said, let's frame that conversation right now. And he went in the next day and he had the conversation. And they said, yep, we, I have recognized that. Let's figure this out. Let's give me some time, but let's work it down. He got back down to about 50 hours and it was starting to be manageable. Unfortunately, they want a bunch more work. And guess what? He's back to 70, 80 hours. Yeah. So he's in the process of leaving. But it was fun to get him to think into the conversation because I don't think too many people are willing to have the conversation. We think of 67% of people are an S in the DISC personality assessment. And Ss resist conflict. I'm an sci feel it. Every time I go into a conversation, but I know I gotta do it, but I don't wanna do it. But a lot of people let that stop them. So they won't go into the office and have the conversation with the boss. They say, the boss should know. The boss is seeing how many hours I'm putting in. No, he's not. He's mm-hmm. doing his own work. He's Stop out traveling. traveling. He's winning work. He or she, they, I should use, and you got to sit him down. They may not know that's not the right thing for you because we did that in the military. We worked 60, 70-hour weeks. When we were deployed, we worked 100-hour weeks. You got nothing else to do. So it's, it almost is, we jump back into almost what we don't want. And you have to first identify, and point pointing it to my head if we're not on video, right? We have to identify to ourselves what we want and what we don't want, and then we have to communicate that to the boss and say, this is out of bounds. They came to me at one point and said, hey, we'd love to have you do about 40% facility maintenance. And I said, nope, that's not what I'm, gonna, not what I'm interested in doing. I told you I'd do 10% because I'm going to be a team player, but if that has to go more, I'll probably be looking for another job. I said, I don't say that as a threat. That's just, it's what I want to do now. I get to choose just like everybody else here gets to choose. I didn't get to choose for 27 years. Now I get to choose and I'm going to choose. So let's work together to get me in the right mix. And we did. So I think you can do both what you just asked. That was a long answer to a short question.
0: A lot of people think of going into business for themselves, but they might not be mm-hmm. ideally suited for that. It takes an entirely mm-hmm. different skill level and oh. skill set to be in business for yourself. So what would you Tell somebody, would you say, find a job that works for you or go into business for yourself? Or would it depend on the individual?
1: It definitely depends on the individual. Definitely. Depending on what their dreams are, their desires are, how they want to do things. But if they're going to go in for themselves is what we typically do. And then The book E-Myth Revisited talks this in great fashion. I love the book. And when I do business coaching, I use that book and I also use Traction. Because it helps. It's the process of figuring out your business. The first thing I love out of Emyth in the back when he starts talking about it is what is it you want in your life? Is it the number one thing? He says, it's not about what do you want in the job. It's what do you want in life, right? Mm-hmm. That 40 to 50 hour a week, 25% travel. I want to supervise. I want to do business. All those things that I had, I didn't realize I was doing, it, but I was defining what I wanted in life. I wanted the opportunity to be home on the weekend. I wanted to take, do camping and hiking, fishing and birdwatching. My wife loves bird watching. I wanted to do all those things. And then now how does the job fit into that is this question number two. Problem with being the entrepreneur is you're going to put in a lot of work until you get things going, right? That's I think right. you and I and Todd, yes. we, we all realize that you're doing everything, the marketing, the content development, the social media posting, the delivery, mm-hmm. the everything. You're doing everything until you can get enough money coming in to hire other people. Yes. So you got to be willing to do that. And there's a lot of people who aren't willing to do that. So it takes a lot of effort, but I think when you figure that, you got to go through that process before you start doing the job. I started a nonprofit three years ago and we didn't do that. I'm speaking from experience and we got down three years later and we hadn't, we didn't have a whole bunch of, about going into detail. We didn't have a whole lot of things in place and we were not working together and it was not we we're not moving in the right direction. We were not achieving our objectives. and go back to that piece again it was no longer fun mm-hmm. now we were fighting each other we would have designed it up front and reached agreement of how we're going to do this and had everything in place had better potential 80% mm-hmm. of small companies fit, fail in the first five years the other, 80, other 80% eighty fail in the next five years so that's 96% of small businesses fail within 10 years and he, Michael Gerber and Emith revisited. went back and he did surveys and it was majority of people don't put in place the vision, the mission, goals, strategies, the organization structure, the development, all those things up front. And guess what? They fail.
0: You had talked about the changing attitudes around work. You and I are both on the far end of the baby boomer scale, but we grew up living to work, get a job, and we poured all of our time, effort, energy into our work. But that's what the, our parents you know, taught us, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what our parents yeah. taught us. But the younger generations started looking at their parents and grandparents and saying, I don't want that stress. I don't want that joyless existence of just mm-hmm. going to work, coming home, and watching television. So they started developing this idea that they're going to work to live. Yes. And I think that's an important thing that we can learn from the younger generation as well, how important that is to be using the work to give us the resources so that we can do the things that we want to do. Yeah,
1: my daughter, I want to brag on her for a second. <clears throat> she, she's a millennial. She's the youngest of three. All three of my kids are millennials. She always had a dream, even before COVID, to get a cargo van and renovate it to be a camper and then go on the road and work remotely and see the world, see the national parks. Well, she did. Last year in June, she bought a cargo van and we helped her buy it. And we helped her do the, make the cabinets and stuff. And she had all kinds of other friends who helped her install the solar panels, install the batteries, do this, that, and the other thing, and have the holes in the roof and the floor. And She's now spent five weeks on the road, going up the coast of California. She lives in Nebraska. So she drove all the way out, drove up the coast of California. And then she did another trip through the Rocky mountains for four weeks. And that's experiences. And I talked to her founders of her company. We were in Lincoln, Nebraska, a couple weeks ago. And we were going out to lunch and we stopped and she introduced us to two of the four founders of the company. And they're just, they love it. They Mm -hmm. are tied in with the experiences that she's doing and things she's seeing. And she's got her clients into it. They're excited every time they get the call. Tell us where you're at today. What are you seeing today? What was the challenge last night? And she's doing her job fantastic, is what they said. So. It was funny because they said when we walked in the room, thank you for birthing this girl. She is awesome. (laughs) It wasn't about helping you grow up or just the great skills she has, which she does as well. So it's fun to see how that generation is grabbing onto that. She is grabbing onto that. And I think you're exactly right. The book Tim Tim Elmore just wrote, we were talking earlier, A New Kind of Diversity. He goes through each of the generations, the builders, boomers, X, Y, and Z. Y is the millennials, Z, as he calls them, the coronials, because they've had several different corona issues over the last 20 years. Why are they, what are they like? What do they drive to? Why is it behind that? The economy, the stock market, technology, all those different things impacted them differently. I remember, here's a simple thing. Christmas, my parents used to always pick up the wrapping paper. Fold it up, iron it. My mom, my wife's mother did the same. They saved it. Because what did they do? They came out of the 20s and 30s, that's the them. Depression, yes. and, the, and World War II, when they were saving resources. And that just became, I'm reading Atomic Habit, and that's became a habit. Because they did that, I do that. And it drives my kids crazy. Dad, we can just go buy more paper. We can. There's plenty more out there. I can't do that. <laughs> it, it goes against what my parents taught me. It goes against my environmental sustainment sustainability background, I, had, I realized how I got trained, right? Now, while my kids don't understand me, if they read the book, maybe they would understand me. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is why dad's the way he is. Because <laughs> I now look at the kids and, oh, this is why they are like they are, yeah. living, living, working to live, mm-hmm. not living to work, looking for experiences. I think there's so much to learn in that arena.
0: I love the story about your daughter because when we were younger, Of The adults would tell us, if you don't shape up your life, you're going to live in a van by the river. And now it's a lifestyle choice. The people want to do that kind of thing. I'm
1: laughing because she did a social media post about two months ago and she was sitting, her van was sitting by a river. And she said, I got told all the time, make sure you succeed or you're going to be in a van by the river. And (laughs) guess what? I'm succeeding and I'm in a van by the river. So you nailed it. That's So funny.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you'd do differently if you had to start over?
1: I always go back to what some people have said when we ask that question, which is they say no, because everything I went through developed me into the person I am today. I wish I would have known Mm -hmm. more about personality assessments when I was in school and understood who I was naturally, why I do the things right. Because I'm an SC in disk, I'm in C is very analytical, very process-oriented, compliance to processes, right? I gotta develop a step-by-step step and I walk through it the same way every time. I can't be that D who just you know, or the I who just randomly works on things. I gotta do it in an organized manner. And uh, and the S is very teamwork and collaborative oriented. So I'm gonna I'm gonna focus in on that team focus. Not just getting things done, but I want to do it as a team and I wish I would have known that because in fact, I, I told the story my I remember since the fourth grade every parent teacher conference with my mother, and the teacher would say, "Don has great ideas, but he never he's slow to participate in classroom discussions. He needs to raise his hand quicker he he, he adds so much she missed that I must see that I'm thinking." before I speak. Eyes speak before they think. They they speak before they think, right? So it's always the eyes that are talking. It's the Cs are sitting in the back of the room thinking through things. And by the time I processed it and was ready to jump in, she was off to the next question. So I started all over again. (laughs) So teachers, that's one reason I'm thinking about Teachers really need to understand their kids at a different level. It's not just the material, it's their personality and how they interact and how to bring them into the conversation, what to expect. So I think that would probably be the one thing that I would do is just understand more about myself. Because people ask, would you go back, not knowing what you know now, would you do high school again? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. (laughs) I'm a whole different person.
0: That's right. I would have
1: so much more fun. Exactly. Not that I would be goofing around. It's, I'd be much more outgoing. I would be more communicative. I would try different things. So, so that, that's two things, I guess.
0: So somebody over 50 who has never had a personality assessment, would it be a good idea for them to have one at this stage in their life? 100% yes. Because it'll teach Definitely. them why they are the way they are and why <laughs> they think the way they do and why they do what they do and the way that's they right. do it. Yeah. Okay. That's right.
1: So If you don't really understand yourself, you can't, just say, can I say you can't change how you're interacting with people. You always do things the same way. But it goes back to that quote, when you change how you look at things, the things you look at change. If mm-hmm. you change how you look at yourself because you understand yourself at a different level, DISC is one, strengths could be one, love language is another. They all measure some different pieces, right? You look at things in a different way. So I don't say one over the other. In fact, Patrick Lencioni now has geniuses. The six geniuses, what I'm going through that. I just saw the podcast the other night, and I'm going to do his assessment. And the more you can learn about yourself, the more you can interact at work and church and home. There was a situation, one of our Maxwell team members, her and her daughter were at odds with each other. They just were always fighting. They did the disc together, and the daughter looked at mom and said, Oh, I understand why you do what you do.
0: That's right. And
1: the mother mother said the same thing. And they now accepted each other and they work together and the stress is gone and they're getting along great. In fact, I see some pictures of them going on vacations together. So you could do the same at work, right? Now I understand the people that I'm working with and why they're doing what they're not. It's not that they're being
0: lazy. Yeah, rather than being yeah.
1: lazy or bad attitude, they just look at things differently. That's hard. That's hard to, to now to adapt to that.
0: It's part of the maturity but, process, though, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, so I 100% yeah. agree.
0: So, is there any advice you'd give to people over 50 to help them either identify or pursue their passions?
1: I don't mean this to sound self serving, but get a coach and explore.
0: I agree um, because they help you think outside the box. We have all accepted excuses our entire life, and we've made excuses for why we are the way we are, and a coach can ask the questions to help you get the understanding that you need to say, wait a minute, that's not right.
1: That's right. I think you nailed it, right? People go to a mentor, and in fact, (laughs) I did a post on social media this morning about mentors, being a good mentee, and how you need to approach conversation. Too often they come in and say, hey, I'm really am really impressed with what you're doing. Can you teach me? I is what do you want to know? So I don't really know what I want to know. So let's, so they get into a conversation and it just kind of wanders. But if you think about where you're at, so say you're 52, right? And at 59, I want to be here. I'm working with an individual who's 57 and wants to retire at 67. What do we need to do to get you to that point? What's, what skills, what jobs, what retirement, savings, all those different pieces, so he can retire at 67. It's not going to happen doing the same things. So through our process, we've only a short couple of months in. He's already changed jobs twice. He's doubled his income. He's got more opportunities coming. It's, he's excited where he's going, using his skills, taking on new challenges. He's changed kind of his perspective.
0: It's exciting. That's neat because there was a story that I saw earlier today that a new survey has revealed that 40% of people don't think they'll be able to retire ever. So now we're going back to what we were talking about a long time ago. You are going to have to like your job if you're going to have to keep it for a long time. So getting that kind of coaching to help you understand yourself and others and what you really want more out of a job or more out of life. And then developing mm-hmm. a plan to get it would be a good idea for anybody over fifty, especially if they're still of working age. So yeah. how people kind I heard with that baby? number. If yeah. I can't,
1: I heard that number's a lot higher than forty percent. Is so it really? Far. Wow. Yeah. I've been seeing that people in their mid fifties only have sixty to eighty thousand dollars saved for retirement. That's I'm right. Like, you gotta be kidding. Even if you earn ten percent then' definitely eight thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Even right. you know, if you, if they say to, to withdraw 4%. So if you had a million dollars, 4% is 40,000. Doesn't even get you to median income that's, these days. So
0: that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So how could people connect with you if they wanted to hire you as a coach or to learn more about the things that you can do for them?
1: The best way is through LinkedIn. Okay. And you know, Don with the middle initial L, Gleason. I'm the only one. There's 67 other Don Gleesons, but I'm the only one with the middle initial. Send me a note, say you've met, you heard me here with Greg Gerber on, what is it, the Over 50 podcast?
0: Four forward from 50 forward, from
1: 50, forward from 50 podcast. And I would love to talk to you about this. Super. And let's just have a conversation. I I offer on these podcasts complimentary 30 minute conversation with anybody who wants to connect with me. Let's see, see what things we could do. I want to pour some value into you, get you moving in the right direction. And if you want to continue to work with me, let's do that. But, that. but I want that conversation to bring you value.
0: That's great. Thank you for your time today, Don. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot to think about for people. And I wish I had this conversation with somebody 15 years ago. I'll be 63 here in a couple of weeks. And it would have made a difference in my life had I had that conversation back in my early 50s.
1: That's probably one of those things. If we, what would you do if you did it over again back in high school, college? Yeah. Yep. I probably didn't rely enough on things like this. I wasn't into personal growth. I wasn't into podcasts because the podcast didn't exist. Right? That's it, right. It was all books. And uh, I was lucky to have some leaders in the military who helped me in mm-hmm. perspective and thinking. And it, that's why I say if I knew what I did not know what I know now, would I do high school over in a heartbeat, because I could help others. I could interact better with projects, lead better. I'd be a better student for teachers. Oh, there's so much I could do. It was so much fun. I so I appreciate the opportunity, Greg, to get yeah. on Forward From 50 podcast and, and talk about this. This Thanks. is so exciting.
0: Thank you. Although Don Gleason and I walked the same hallways in high school in Madison, Wisconsin, I really didn't know him until we were connected by a mutual friend at a john maxwell event in orlando several years ago i admire don's devotion to helping people find jobs that are ideally suited for their personalities as well as their career and life goals we all tend to spend an enormous amount of time working for a living it is a tremendous energy drain to be trapped in a dead-end job Yet, when people desire change, they usually go about it the wrong way by sprucing up their resumes without giving any consideration to what they really want to do. It's a bad way to step into the final stage of a productive career. There are a lot of jobs available to people who are looking for work today, but they rarely stop to ask, do I want to do this job? Rather, they only ask, can I do this job? In reality, they can probably do a lot of things. However, Do they really want to invest 2,000 or 3,000 hours of their time every year toward that activity? When people ask themselves that question, then the answer is often very different. Don read a study recently that suggested 75% of people are disengaged at work, and that often comes back to a lack of purpose. By the time people come to Don for career coaching, many times they have already mentally checked out of their jobs. If there's one thing Don wishes he had done earlier in life, it would be to take a personality assessment when he was still in college, if not high school. Doing so would have helped him understand who he is naturally and why he seems to do certain things the same way every time. Armed with that type of knowledge, people can either see why they keep being trapped in frustrating experiences, or they can find jobs and start businesses that are ideally suited to their personalities and character strengths. Don noted that the you are 52 right now and don't know what you want to be doing at age 59, then you need to work with someone now who has the skills to help you get to that destination. Because if you keep doing the same things, nothing will change. You'll keep wandering in circles, wondering whether there's more to life than you're currently experiencing. To help people develop a new perspective for their lives or their jobs, Don is offering a complimentary 30-minute conversation to anyone who wants to connect with him. Just look for the Don L. Gleason profile at LinkedIn and send him a connection note indicating you heard or read about him at Forward From 50. That's all I have for this week's show. I'll have another inspirational interview on the next episode of the Forward From 50 podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you like this show, please consider leaving a review wherever you download the episodes.